Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up, betrayal is such a powerful force and it's important that Christians respond in a biblical manner. Bill Waldrop has some principles to share about how to extend forgiveness toward others. And Valentine's Day was recently celebrated. Rob Flood recognizes that proper communication is an essential element of a strong and lasting marriage relationship. He offers some components regarding using words wisely. Plus, many are familiar with John Bunyan's classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. Ricky Kim is involved in a movie now available on home video that has been described as a prequel to this classic tale. He shares insight into the Christian's journey. And on this edition of The Intersection, recently there was an online event for women called She Loves Out Loud, which was centered on prayer. Founder Diane Strack offers her perspective on the importance of that event. Finally, Sean Carney of 40 Days for Life has released a new devotional, which can be encouraging for Christians who desire to stand for the lives of the pre-born. You can reflect on how to be involved in pro-life prayer and action by his words. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Phil Waldrop is founder of Phil Waldrop Ministries, which presents the Women of Joy events in Gridiron Men's Conference. He addresses the pain of and potential healing from betrayal in his new book entitled Beyond Betrayal, Overcome Past Hurts and Begin to Trust Again. With some encouraging words on choosing God's way and responding to this powerful force, here is Phil Waldrop. How do you know that you have actually forgiven a person who has betrayed you? Uh, you know, I, I tell people there are three things that I discovered in my life when you've really forgiven. Number one is you quit building a wall around your heart because when you've been betrayed and you're hurt, you psychologically think, well, if I can't trust this person, who can I trust? So you start building a wall around your heart and it, because you, you've decided I'm not going to let anybody – nobody else is going to ever hurt me again, so I'm going to build this wall. And the little exercise I tell people – is take out a piece of paper, and on the left side of the piece of paper, write everybody who betrayed you. And on the right side, list everyone who loves you who has never betrayed you. And I can tell you the list on the right is going to be a lot longer than the list on the left. So if you're not careful, if you've really forgiven people uh, and you've worked through that forgiveness, you stop shutting out the people who haven't hurt you. And then I tell people you stop trying to get even. You know, as Christians, we don't always try to, you know, some do, unfortunately, but most of the time we don't, you know, take a gun or we don't try to physically harm a person, but we verbally try to harm them. So when someone says something good about that person or commends that person, we feel this welling obligation that we have to set the record straight. So we verbally assassinate that person. And when you can come to the place where you don't feel this obligation to get even, and, and, or I would say to try to get people on your side, once you get to that place, you're starting forgiveness. And I think you really have reached forgiveness, and this is the real test, is when you can be somewhere and that person walks into a room, you may not have to you know, engage in conversation, that you don't want to feel like running. And I know sometimes you may be bothered by their presence. You, you know, it may trouble you, depending on what the betrayal was, of course. maybe awkward, but not because you, don't, you, just, you just don't have this feeling of rage against them anymore. And forgiveness is, is an initial act, but I am also convinced it's a daily act. Some people think, 
you know, they'll say, well, I, I, I forgave them. I'm over it. And then you talk to them five minutes, and you realize they're not over it. But forgiveness is something that, especially in the early days after betrayal, you have to do on a daily basis. Say, Lord, today I don't feel it, I don't want to do it, but I choose to forgive that person. And when we, can, when we get to the place, to where, the illustration I like to use is this. Here's how you know when you've forgiven someone. It's like a scar and a wound. Uh, both of those are visible, but the difference between a scar and a wound is if I touch a wound, it hurts. If I touch a scar, it doesn't. And if someone touches that, you know, that area of your life, does it hurt? And if it hurts, you may still be healing, but it also may mean you've not processed it well. And your goal is to get to the place where it's not a wound that causes you more pain, but it's a scar. It's a memory, but it doesn't hurt mm. whenever you see that person or someone brings that person's name your attention. So you mentioned quit building a wall and not getting even. What was the third thing? It's don't try to win people to your side. Because we, we try, and I especially see this in families uh, where maybe where a spouse has been unfaithful. We feel it's we need to get all the kids on our side. We need to tell them how sorry their daddy was or how bad their mother was. And so when you really forgive people, you, you quit playing the game of trying to get everybody on your team. and Because the real test is, what if somebody else says something kind or good about the person who betrayed you? Now, there may be a time in some appropriate ways that maybe for many reasons that you do need to say something. But just to feel better or to make that person think less of them, so don't try to settle the score. Don't try to win people to your team. And that's something I see a lot with people who uh, who haven't forgiven, who really haven't processed their betrayal, is they keep trying to get more people on their team so that they can defeat that other person, hmm. and that's not your motive. Bill Waldrop here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website beyondbetrayalbook.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Rob Flood, community and care pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. In a recent conversation with me, he shared information related to communication as he covers in his book, With These Words, Five Communication Tools for Marriage and Life. For that conversation, this is Rob Flood. The first is a tool of first response, which indicates that the direction of a conflict is not controlled by the person who initiates it, but by the person who responds to it. Uh, and we see this demonstrated in Jesus all the time. In his public ministry, uh, he had people constantly trying to pick fights with him, whether it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees, whoever it happened yep. to be. They'd initiate a conflict, but it never went the direction they wanted it to go. It always went in a redeemed direction, in a purposeful direction. And why is that? Because the responder is the one who has the, the control over whether that becomes a blowout conflict or not. Uh, the second tool is the tool of prayer. Uh, and this is good, not just preemptively, though very important to do preemptively if you know you're walking into a difficult conversation. But in the middle of conversation, oftentimes we get in the cycle of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we forget that the presence of the Lord is there with us. His heart and his desire is for your marriage to function in unity. And so couples would do well if the conversation is starting to go in a bad direction, just pause, pray together, 
Maybe you need to take 10 minutes and each go to a separate room in the house and pray and then see if the Lord would allow you to start back up. If a conversation hasn't gone well, the tool comes in handy there with couples coming back together saying, you know, I'm not sure we agree on that, but I want you to know I love you, I'm for you, and can we pray that the Lord would help us work through this better next time? The third tool is the tool of physical touch. Uh, And of course, I want to be very careful here. I'm clear in the chapter. This is gentle, kind, safe touch. I'm not talking about, you know, any type of physical violence here. The, The idea with physical touch is that it's very hard to be in conflict with someone you are affectionately touching. And so if, if Gina and I are going to sit down to what was likely to be a difficult conversation, we'll be holding hands or leaning against one another, or maybe her legs will be across my lap as we're talking. And then what inevitably happens is if the conflict is starting to brew, we subconsciously change physical positions so that we're not touching, so we can fight. And so it's a wonderful visual cue uh, that, that oh, my God, we, oh my gosh, we stopped touching two minutes ago. Let's stop and apply the tool of prayer right there and then hold hands again and keep talking. Fourth is a tool of mirroring. And this is perhaps the most awkward to apply, but for couples who are having difficulty in communication, it may be one of the most important ones to put into practice. And that's where, when, when Gina will say something to me, I will repeat that in my own words. And then she gets to say, yes, that's what I meant. Oh, no, 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 you misunderstood. I meant this instead. And we don't move forward in that conversation until I'm rightly understanding what she's meaning. And then I'll share. And then she'll mirror. And, you know, at this point, we're coming up on 25 years. There are still some topics where this tool comes in handy. But we used it much more when we were younger uh, in our marriage while we were learning one another. It's a great way to make sure you're not having conflict over misunderstanding. And then the last one is the tool of proper timing. And I hit this earlier when we were talking about that that phrase in Ephesians 4.29, as fits the occasion, that there may be things that, uh, good things that get brought up at wrong times. She's at the end of a really hard day with some of our kids. That may not be the time for me to bring up a difficult topic. Unless urgency demands it, maybe I can wait till the weekend to bring that up. And just keeping that as a tool at work, we're in this for the long haul. Everything doesn't have to get resolved today. And can I add one thing just before we move on? Sure. These tools, in in fact, the whole book, I mentioned this throughout as well, is not primarily intended, is certainly not intended for uh, couples where there's a situation of severe abuse or physical abuse of any kind. Uh, safety is the paramount issue on, on situations like that. Uh, this is really intended where safety is not a question or could be used even by that severe situation in repairing or restoring a marriage. But I wouldn't want someone in a very dangerous situation thinking their best next step is applying some of these tools. Safety would be the most important next step for them. Rob Flood here on The Intersection. You can find him online at robfloodauthor.home.blog. Next up on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's actor in and executive producer of the film Heaven Quest, A Pilgrim's Progress, described as a prequel to The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Ricky Kim shared about his involvement in the film and what messages viewers can receive. 
From that conversation, here now is Ricky Kim. Heaven Quest, um, this I think is relatable to anybody in the walk of faith or not even in the walk of faith, just in life. I mean, just walking through life. You're you're trying to search for something. Yet sometimes you feel like you're lost. Sometimes you feel like you know what's going on and you have everything in the grasp of your hands, but then it kind of just falls away. Heaven Quest is a journey of, of a guy's story of coming from being lost and thinking he knew everything. And then one day he realizes that he's on this journey and this path of seeking something that's kind of out of his control. And so, um, you know, it, it does have a lot of, it's, it's the story um, built around the Pilgrim's Progress. And so if the people are familiar with the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, um, it's a story of the, of the character Christian. And um, our story of Heaven Quest is not actually in the story of the book, but it's uh, kind of a prequel, um, kind of a leading up um, into it. And just anybody that reads, reads that book or, or, or watches the movie Heaven Quest, you just, wow, that's, that's a little part of me in there. It, a part of me when I was lost or when I was kind of journeying through and seeing some characteristics in the characters. I mean, the metaphors in the characters, I think, is, is where the beautiful story starts. So the main character, uh, if people are familiar with John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, the main character is named Christian. As you pointed out, Ricky, this is a prequel to that particular story. So what do we need to know going in about, well, Christian's backstory? Well, I think that's the beauty of it. Um, um, I, I love a lot of the stories uh, in the Bible. But um, if Bob, if I'm going to sit down with you and tell you the story of David, you've you've heard it before, and even if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you know the story of David and Goliath. So it's very detailed, and it's very um, each element of the characteristics of the person, the characteristics of the environment, is so um, detailed in history that the story's been told so many times to kids and even to adults. So it's kind of hard to interpret that. But when you look at Pilgrim's Progress, I mean, these characters are so colorful. And it's just like saying for a second, kind of like the Star Wars, like what would it be like before that happened? Or what what is like what is it from the viewpoint of the person right next to that person? And so uh, building those characters uh, was beautiful. And um, it's, it's the same building the characters. I mean, we, we built the characters in the, in the, in the scripture, I mean, in the script from our from our director and our writing team. But I mean, it was a, it, a lot of it was built on set. I mean, our our our, our actors and actresses really had that um, that freelance to really interpret that character. Um, which I think before you watch the movie, you got to you got to kind of think about just a journey. I mean, it's, it's kind of a journey movie, you know, a lot of the, a journey or a pilgrimage. Sure. And so you're going to see that you're going to see that dynamic of of an old past, you know, kind of a world, which I think is really beautiful and colorful. So before you got involved in Heaven Quest, were you familiar with Pilgrim's Progress? Coming from a, a, a Korean um, Christian background, I didn't grow up in a, a, a Christian home. Um, but being in Korea for, you know, 10 plus years of my life and around the Christian environment, this book uh, is so, is so, it's like, it's one of the books, if you have five books on your shelf and you're a Korean Christian, I mean, the Bible is one of them. Uh, it's a standard. And then Pilgrim's Progress is just one of those books that's up there. And and Korea is well known for having, um, second to America, the most missionaries that are sent around the world. I think it's 187, 188 countries in the world that have Korean missionaries in there. And this book is like that go-to book that you talk to your children about, that you try to share through gospel and the, the, the metaphors of the Christian teaching. And this book has been like kind of a, of a go-to book for a lot of Korean Christians. And so being around that for 10 years, I've heard about this book. I've, I've read this book. I've heard the stories of the book for so many years. To make it personal was kind of a, 
a beautiful journey for myself. Ricky Kim here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to heavenquestfilm.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection. You can find the podcast in that Media Center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org. In the programming section, you'll find a link to The Meeting House homepage. Content from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app, and a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Learn more when you go to the Meeting House homepage. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, the founder and president of a new prayer initiative for women, She Loves Out Loud, Diane Strack, discussed the origins and purpose for the new prayer movement with a free live stream that was scheduled for February 15th, 2020. Here now from that conversation is Diane Strack. Your mentor, the late Vonette Bright, really placed a a vision on your heart, and you've actually taken the baton, if you will, and put this into motion. So talk about what you and Vonette Bright discussed with respect to women coming together to pray and why that's important. Yeah, and you know, it wasn't like just handing me the baton. It was an urgent whisper, and then the Holy Spirit worked in me. But, uh, you know, before she passed away, she would call several of us to her home with this urgent message that we had to call the women together, call the women together. And she was trying even in her uh, last months to start a new women's ministry. And so the last time I was with her, I had the privilege to just look at those sparkling blue eyes across the table and this urgent whisper came out of her, Diane, gather the women to pray. It's the only hope for our nation. And that whisper, I didn't know what to do with it. At first, I was just like, sure, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. But the Holy Spirit began to work in me as I watched the angry women's movement. The Lord said to me, that cannot will be the the last word that the media sends out about women and the heart of a woman. And I said, that's right. We cannot because we know what a powerful heart of influence and peace and joy uh, that God has put into a woman. And so we uh, set out when we saw the Me Too movement, we wept. I know you did too, wept with women that had been through abuse, but we saw no peace. We saw no healing. And again, the Lord said to me, Diane, these are women who don't know what you know. They don't know there's a father who loves them unconditionally. They don't know there's a savior who makes all things new. They don't know there's a comforter who heals the heart with peace and fills the mouth with joy. And so, Bob, we just began to say, well, let's call a few friends who called a few friends and got on our knees, and the Lord has done it from there. 
and a few friends. You you called a number of people. I've had the privilege <laughs> of interviewing throughout the years a number of familiar names. Yeah. And so give us an idea. And of course, we recognize that this is centered on Christ, but you have so many remarkable people that are standing with you in this She Loves Out Loud event. I think it's important to let let folks know who's going to be leading in prayer and, and what exactly they're going to be doing that day. Well, you know, there's so many stories to tell you, so I, you kind of lead me if I go on too long because I, I, I'm so excited right now. I just got a call from Memphis. They have busloads of people coming in from Arkansas. They have over 50 churches, diverse churches from all across the city and all across Tennessee, and they're all coming together at Bellevue for a message on uh, – Friendship, what just genuine friendship look like in the in the uh, wake of waste, race relations right now? And so we'll have a diverse choir there. We'll be praying across an altar. Women will be leading across an altar prayers of repentance uh, for how we've treated one another over the years. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we are going to hear stories of an abortion survivor and her adoptive mother from a trafficking survivor of how she's overcome the pain of the past and gone on now to reach other women and help them be restored of a marriage that was broken through the addiction to pornography and how God has put this couple back together. They've been married longer than they've been divorced now and how they're helping people all over the world, all over the country to understand there's hope. And that's our message. There is hope. So in between these stories, we'll be praying. We'll be praying through scripture. Scripture will be up on the screen. You'll be praying in your small group where you are. You can either join us on the screen with our live audience to pray with us because some people will be in in a home group or a small group or on their own. Uh, But then there's others that are in large churches or in various churches, pregnancy centers. I don't know, Bob, if you can imagine we have a rescue mission. And I just heard today, and rescue missions have invited like 100 women to come from across their counties. And I just heard today there's a prison in Arkansas who has signed up uh, to be with us. We have pregnancy centers. So they'll be praying for one another. They'll be hugging each other, praying with one another through these Bible verses that each speaker has chosen to complement the story of hope that they're giving. Diane Strack here on The Intersection. You can find out more at shelovesoutloud.org. Finally, it's the president and CEO of 40 Days for Life, Sean Carney, discussing his devotional book, To the Heart of the Matter, The 40-Day Companion to Live a Culture of Life, which helps pro-life people reflect on standing with and praying for pre-born children. Here now from that conversation, it's Sean Carney. 40 Days for Life is peaceful. It's law-abiding. It, it has that Christ-like spirit of, of reaching out. We see ourselves as basically domestic missionaries in whatever country that we're in. And, you know, it's been beautiful to see 40 Days for Life spread to over 900 cities in 66 different countries, and it just wouldn't have if it, if it was violent or, or, or judgmental or something that couldn't be approached by those who really start to see us as their enemies. And these abortion workers, of course, you know, sort of cast us out and and block us out the first couple of weeks of a 40 days for life vigil in front of their workplace. But that goes away with time and with weather and with simple, you know, conversations. They start to see us as human 
And then they, 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 the focus is removed from us and it's put on why we're out there and the work that they're actually doing. And so I thought the movie did a great job of, of highlighting that. And, and it's true. You know, we have, we've not just for the abortion workers, but, you know, we've helped 17,000 moms who have chosen life at the very last moment, most of, the, most of them on the day of their abortion appointment. And that, that is only possible uh, when, we, when we really get out of the way of ourselves and, uh, and allow God to work on the sidewalk. It seems to me that the root, the foundation of what 40 Days for Life does is, is actually prayer. It is. That's, that. that's the foundation, and that that's why I wrote to the heart of the matter. And and whether you can go physically to a vigil or or not, because you don't have one close, uh, that's what the book is designed for. It's a great companion for a forty days for life campaign or for the season of Lent. And really, you know, it's only one hundred and fifty pages, and it's it's a pro life devotional for for busy people. And it has short little things that we can do every day in our daily lives that are changing the culture. And they're not reported in the media, uh, but we, can, we didn't get here overnight to where we have half of the politicians in America advocating for infanticide. This has been a crisis um, for 50 years of how we got here. And, and we're getting out of it, but, it, but we, can, we can transform our culture starting in our own, our own homes and our own lives. So it's a lighthearted book. It's a very direct book, but um, I, I think people are going to enjoy it. I've been very fortunate with the, the feedback on it so far, and uh, so I, I, I think people will, uh, will, will laugh and cry, as I've been told by many people who have already read it. So when people read these individual devotionals, are there some common threads or, or a common structure for each one? Yes, there are. And, and, and after each, each point or story, there's a scripture verse, and there's a specific intention. And I, and I made them as detailed as possible because I know, like me, I have a million things going on. I have eight kids, and, and everybody, you know, you have a job or you're taking care of your elderly parents or you're in college or you're retired, wherever you are in life, we're, we're usually busy. And so I, <clears throat> I make a point, get to the point, illustrate what we can do for that day to build a culture of life and, and then move on. And, and I would say the overall theme is carving out space for our Lord in our lives every single day when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. And, and that is what uh, changes hearts and minds on a very big level for, for those that can do a lot in the pro-life movement and for those that aren't able because of their season in life. Uh, those smaller things have a tremendous impact, and I illustrate that. Sean Carney here on The Intersection. The website address is 4040daysforlife.com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or by going to faithradio.org. In the programming section, you'll find a link to the Meeting House homepage. When you arrive, you'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the podcast. The Intersection is also found in that Media Center as well as through iTunes. You can access two blogs, One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Conversations from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app 
and through a variety of podcast platforms. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.